Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 96 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian, Magister of Worth Gottlieb. What's up, man? Hello, hello, Gerald. How are you this week? I'm doing well, buddy. I wanted to reference my one of my favorite creatures of all time. As you know, I can never stop talking about Magister of Worth. I just love it so much. <laughs> well, it, it might help if it were legal in like any format. Uh, you, could, you could play it in Legacy if you really wanted to. You shouldn't, but you could. What I actually wanted to talk about is the mechanic on Magister of Worth, Will of the Council. And it's such an important topic to talk about this time of year because it involves voting. And I know you have a piece to say on voting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I lived the earlier part of my life. I'm 34 now, for those wondering. You know, I'm, I'm a white male in America, right? Like I'm super privileged. I always had a thought of like, the sitting president basically has not affected my life whatsoever. And it's just like so ignorant. And I I regret that a lot. And now I am trying to get a little bit more in the swing of things as far as like politics and whatnot, because even if it doesn't affect me necessarily, it affects everyone around me. So it it is surprisingly easy. I was actually shocked to find out how easy it was. But yeah, that's about it. I do think that if you have the time and any sort of inclination, like by all means, get out and vote. Yeah, I think, I think you need to make the time. I think you need to go beyond that. It's such an important part of our democracy. And like you, Jerry, I spent the vast majority of my life with the same opinion, not voting. The first time I voted was in the last presidential election. Oh, and wow. Yeah, and I, I regret spending my entire life with exactly the basically thought process you described. Oh, this doesn't affect me. It's not important. And that's so ignorant. It affects so many people you care about, so many people you love. Uh, election season is so much bigger than just presidential elections. It's so important to vote in your local elections as well. You'll really feel those policies when you're voting on them. So this is just you know, my act of contrition. All those years I spent not voting, I feel bad about it now. And I hope by doing this little PSA, we can get the word out and encourage our listeners to make sure they are voting come this election season. It's very important to both of us, I know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like you said, make time. I mean, it's it's 30 minutes. And a quick Google search will give you all you need to know for your state or your area, wherever you may be. So Spot on. And if you're not registered, don't wait, because I know the deadline is fast approaching. So Yeah, and again, that is different for basically every state, too. So Correct. figure it out. It's not that tough and it does make a difference, but we are a magic podcast and that's, that's, that's it for our PSA this week. Maybe, maybe we'll have some more next week. We'll see, but Guilds of Ravnica is out. And I think we were both just like kind of glued to magic online the last weekend. Is that accurate? Uh, Magic online and arena, which has come quite a long way. I'm going to be honest. It, It has some problems. I have some issues with the economy, but I played a lot of Sealed Deck on Arena just to get familiar with Guilds Limited. It's an 
awesome client for sealed. There's there's some problems with deck building. I hope they'll be sorted out. I imagine they will be eventually. But in terms of just like snappy gameplay and, and getting to move through a bunch of sealed decks really quickly, I love the experience with Arena. For my constructed fix, I'm still on Magic Online, playing a bunch of Magic Online and, and learning a lot about the format. Yeah, I played some Arena. I don't know. I, like, change is scary. I'm going to s- try and play a little bit more and more. I got a free sealed entry from playing in a pre-release last weekend. So I tried that out for a little bit. Like you mentioned, the deck builder is kind of wonky. It One of the things that I really dislike about Eternal is their limited deck building like functionality. And Arena seems to have just like completely copied it. So it's just like, oh no, why why this again? Yeah, I agree with you. There's There's got to be a better way. I mean, honestly, Magic Online, as far as deck building, is better. And Magic Online isn't better than many programs at many things. Like it's very, yep. very flawed and it's hard to find areas that it really is, uh, you know, setting the curve. But yes, Magic Online is the best deck building function I've found. I hope Arena comes more in line with that. But in terms of just like snappiness of play experience and moving through games really quickly, I, I have appreciated it. Word. Well, I'll, I'll try it out some more. I mean, I played some limited and then I've I've mostly just been focusing on constructed a little bit of modern, but mostly standard. So I think it would take too long for me to grind up a standard collection on Arena, but all in due time. Yeah, I tried to just shortcut it and throw a bunch of money at the problem. But the way they have their crafting system set up, you can't really do that. And it's it's one of my biggest problems with the program as it stands right now. I don't want to get too much into that. I'll just say I hope it gets fixed and there's a better way to buy into Constructed on Arena. Well, there are no more wipes, man. So whatever you spent, I think I think you're locked into. Yeah, I know. And I, I didn't do so optimally <laughs> either. I didn't quite understand the system, which is my own fault. I'll take the blame for that. But uh, it's not particularly intuitive or the best way to facilitate the way we build decks in magic for something like hearthstone it would be a fine system just magic deck building is very different though and it it doesn't function well for the way i tend to accumulate cards and build decks so hopefully that'll change in time word well maybe you can give me some pointers offline but i'm ready to talk about guilds of ravnica standard yeah let's do it this is an exciting format so many cool decks already popping up in uh the first deck dump from magic online yeah so this was posted monday right uh, October 1st, Monday, yes. Yeah. And, and we'll put a link in the show notes to make sure people know where to go to take a look at these decks with us. MTGO.com is very simple. It's never simple. <laughs> with no, magic no, it seriously is. It's MTGO.com. There's a scroll down thing. You hit deck lists. That's really all I have to do? Yes. I'm, check, I'm checking your work. No, that's that's not it. There, this isn't the deck list page. Oh, there there is a header with the, the deck list tab, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Two clicks. Well, what I did was just favorite the decklist page and put it on, on my too. bookmarks to a bar. Right? Me too. And but, if you haven't done that, you should do it. I mean, this is a valuable resource. Very important for any Magic player. Yeah, not super important today because they posted popper decklist, but hey, I checked. Right. I was like, maybe it'll be Christmas and they'll give us extra standard decks, but I think no. that gets posted tomorrow, unfortunately. But anyway, first list is from Naka underscore Mura, who I'm not, I don't think it's Shuhei. Yeah, I don't, that's not the name I've associated with him in the past, but. He's asterisk on Moto. Right. There's always new accounts popping up. It could be, but either way, a neat little deck here. Yeah, Goblins, uh, splashing for Radiant Destiny, Conclave Tribunal, got some response resurgence action, and Vanquisher's Banner in the sideboard. So noteworthy stuff. No Goblin Warchief, which I found a little odd. 
and the Trash Masters are in the sideboard. So Trash Master, I kind of understand because you have Volley Veteran at four mana. Right. Uh, so you can't really overload in that slot. And that, that's kind of what I felt building these Goblin decks is that like there's just so many options. Yeah, a lot of options. I like this particular build built around Radiant Destiny and, you know, just making big bodies with your goblins. I don't think this is the build that ultimately carries the day. I think there's a lot of ways to get creative with goblins, several of which I'm pretty excited about. I know Sam Black wrote a lot about goblins on Star City today. His final deck list, I was particularly excited about using Dark Dweller Oracle in combination with Experimental Frenzy to just rip through his entire deck once he has a Skirk Prospector and basically combo off um, something we haven't seen out of a standard creature deck in a very, very long time. Might be the next deck I get some games in with because something about Experimental Frenzy keeps setting off alarm bells every time I see that card. No copies here, but I would love to see some anytime we're doing this kind of small red creature type game. I, I think it's just an oversight, honestly. I could buy that. I've had a lot of people message me very excitedly about the the prospect of uh, Experimental Frenzy just in goblins in general. But yeah, there are some combo applications. And if you're sideboarding things like Vanquisher's Banner, it's just like, when, once you see Experimental Frenzy in play, you will understand. Yeah, you exactly. Will, you will get it. And neither of us had it in our top 10 list. Just to be clear, we, we both left it off. If I were redoing my top 10 list today, I would find space for it. I think it is that powerful. Even if it turns out to only be a sideboard card, it's so impactful out of the sideboard and changes so many things. But I think it's probably better than that and has some like combo applications, maybe main deck applications, if you lean really hard into what it's capable of. Right. I'm just building around the card in in my main decks at this point, or at least attempting to, like trying to push things as far as I can go. Not like super far on the combo end necessarily, but it's just like, okay, if I have some good creatures, some removal spells, and Experimental Frenzy, is is this good enough? And as long as your mana curve is uh, a little on the lighter side, then yes, I do think it is. I'm with you. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like how you did. You just look at it. It's like, okay, it's a sideboard. It's not a top 10 card or a sideboard card, not a top 10 card. And uh, it is it is far more than that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the card that carries the day. There's kind of two cards right now I think could very easily carry the day for week one, be it the Magic Online PTQ or SCG Columbus, which is a team event. So the, the data will be a little bit you know, unreliable from that. But Magic Online PTQ, straight standard, and Experimental Frenzy is the first of the cards on my watch list. We'll get to the second one in just a moment. Okay, second deck from Pig Norton, uh, Golgari, three Eldest Reborn, four Assassin's Trophy, three Vraska Relic Seeker, three Find, and then a pile of creatures, including four Golgari Find Broker and four Dryad Green Seekers. So Pig Norton leaning really hard on that combination we've talked about a bunch, the Golgari Find Broker, Eldest Reborn, Endgame. Something I have liked in my testing, it's been powerful, but the real exciting card here is the second card that I would have on my watch list for this weekend. That's fine, Finality. The more I play with this card, the more I realize how important it is. Another card that didn't make my top 10 list, so maybe when the time comes and we're you know reviewing our time here at Guilds of Ravnica, I'll have a lot of regrets with the top 10 list, but Fine Finality has been super impressive. It's just exactly what these decks want to do. They're loaded with creatures that have comes into play abilities, so they're getting incredible value out of rebuying two creatures, and now they have access to a Wrath, and it's a Wrath that also answers Vine Mare, 
possibly the most problematic card against these decks. I've been so impressed by this card. It's just been overwhelmingly important in so many of my games. And if I was building Black Green, I'd have four copies in my main deck. I start there. Yeah, I, I've been super impressed by the card, and I was already very high on it. Like you said, it's just exactly what these Golgari decks want to be doing on, on both sides. And did I not put it on my top 10 either? Man. I, th- I think you had it in your top 10. I think it was towards the bottom of your top 10, if I remember correctly. No, I, I'm looking at my top 10, but I don't know. I was super high on it. I did, I did think it was like the perfect card for these decks. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> but there was a lot of good cards in the set. I, I understand. It's always tough to get to nail these top 10 lists. They're very challenging. And if you looked at my article today, I kind of went over our top 10 list from the past that I've done. And man, there are some head scratchers and regrets throughout those. <laughs> it's a work in progress, man. We're getting better every day. We're learning. I don't, I don't really think my top 10 list is that bad, though, in all honesty. We'll see. Time will tell. You know, a couple more specific card choices I wanted to dive into here we're starting to see dryad green seeker make its way into some constructed decks what's your opinion on dryad green seeker i think it just speaks to how poor a lot of the the two mana options are for a lot of these decks and not not to say that dry green seeker is terrible or anything because it's certainly not and if you're in the market for a district guide type of thing green seeker is a, a slightly more unwieldy option uh so i I don't think it's the worst thing ever one three body is definitely not bad in a field of mono red or anything it's just kind of mopey and there's no real way to like set it up or anything so i don't know yeah i've been doing like druid of the cowl stuff in my decks that are super mana hungry and i'm wondering if maybe i should be considering dryad green seeker instead on its face though I don't know. I I don't buy it as a powerful enough option. It's a little bit too inconsistent for me in terms of constructed play. So I've been passing on it, but maybe that's my mistake. I'll definitely try some games with it. The other card I wanted to mention was Isareth the Awakener, the M19 legendary human wizard. Black, black, one, three, three, death touch. Whenever Isareth the Awakener attacks, pay X. And if you do, you can return a creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. What do you think of this card? I don't like it. I'm especially shocked to see copies of it instead of Jade Light Ranger. Like there's three Isarefs and two Jade Light Rangers in this list. And granted, the mana is leaning like slightly heavier black. And there are some Isareth applications with like Golgari Finebroker and things like that. It just seems like so slow and so mopey and mostly fails my three drop test of just not really doing anything the the turn it enters the battlefield so i don't know i'm i'm not super sold on this maybe you need like an additional removal spell for green creature decks maybe you want another third toughness thing for finality i don't know so i basically feel the exact opposite of the way you feel i think this is an incredibly important card for these decks to add and where it really clicked for me was the first time i was able to block a nullhide ferox with Isareth. And that was like, okay, now this card is doing absolutely everything I wanted and answering a lot of the problems I had. It's just another way to assure your value engine comes online. And, you know, these decks are a lot of air. There's a lot of cards that don't matter all that much as you try and transition to the cards that do matter, especially the way I've built these decks. My green black decks have looked a little bit different from this and have just tons and tons of mana sources with some very specific payoffs that I'm reliant on keeping in play. Isareth just guarantees that's going to happen, especially in conjunction with Fine Finality. You just always have access to this kind of recursive engine when you get to the late game. You know, if you're spending your early game guaranteeing you're getting to a point of comfortable mana at a high enough life total, then you're able to take advantage of Isareth when it comes time uh, to transition to the late game. I've been very impressed by this card in practice. 
Well, let's let's talk about mono green a little bit because this deck doesn't have vehicles, it doesn't have blossoming defense, it doesn't have Ronus, it does have a bunch of fatties all the way up the curve, but the deck is not particularly good. And your example of like Isareth versus Nullhide Ferox is just a, another example of that, I think, where it's like that deck is is maybe like week zero stuff, like maybe even a litmus test for the format. But going forward, that deck is just not going to be a thing. Like you might see green splash black or green splash white or something like that. But mono green just as is does not have enough tools. Uh, I do agree with that. That is a true statement. And, you know, so it's this kind of state of flux, right? I've enjoyed Isareth early on because that deck has been around in large numbers in Magic Online queues. I'm happy to have answers to it. But the fact that I've found answers to it, and so has virtually everyone else, means the deck won't be around for all that much longer as far as I'm concerned. So I I get what you're saying. If people are already adapting, then the card becomes worse. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where things shake out. But on the whole, I'm with you. Mono Green, not an impressive deck whatsoever. How do you feel about four copies of Assassin's Trophy? Love it. Love it. Max those Assassin's Trophies. Oh my God. You're a crazy person. I I would actually play three. I know you would play two. This will be a point of contention to the end of time. Four seems excessive. Two seems light. I like three. If everyone is playing Conclave, Conclave Tribunal and Experimental Frenzy, I can see leaning a little bit harder on this, but I don't know. Everyone is siding in bane fires and stuff like there are going to be ways for you to get punished by giving them extra lands for sure this is true so we will see we will see four in week one when you don't even know what you're playing against it strikes me as uh very aggressive well you could say it's it's either aggressive or safe right like there's two ways to look at it is you could be super punished or you have this incredible amount of flexibility where you're able to answer anything right but drawbacks drawbacks that's that's the risk for sure all right, next deck, uh, game podcast listener Jake Dershimer playing a little Boros deck, white-based, trying out a lot of different cards, 300 Witness, three Legion's Landing, two Dauntless Bodyguards for one drops, two drops. We have Boros Challenger, Swift Blade Vindicator, Knight of Grace, and Cavalry Drillmaster, which works quite nice with the various mentor creatures and I think is a pretty good find. Yeah, good find. I like that one a lot. On the whole... Not into Boros. The games I've played against it, I haven't played with it, but the games I've played against it have been incredibly underwhelming. Granted, they didn't have access to Cavalry Drillmaster. I haven't seen that anywhere else. But they kind of are super reliant on the few points of power they have. I would identify those points as History of Benalia, very, very impressive card still in this format. Tadric, very impressive. Aurelia, very impressive. And then everything else is just like, meh. Like every other card in the deck, I'm not super excited about. So- yep, I... Uh- I played some with Boros last night on stream and I was uh, history of Benalia was my best card and it wasn't close. And the rest of my cards were very medium. I think this sort of deck could really benefit from venerated Loxodon or some other way to globally pump your creatures because my things were getting outclassed too much. And it just, it felt like most of my cards were like half a card. I am starting to see venerated Loxodon in these decks in some places. So people are picking up on that technology. I buy that too, making your creatures bigger very important board sizing, very important in this format right now. So I can see Loxodon doing the job there. And this was my first foray into experimental frenzy territory. And I played against a red white control deck that just had all the sweepers like settled wreckage, Defton and Clarion cleansing Nova, and then just a bunch of planeswalkers. And they swept me every turn and I almost decked myself, but I eventually got there because every turn I would just play like four cards with Experimental Frenzy. And after they settle you for like the third time, mm. I mean, you are you just have all gas. 
Yeah, Experimental Frenzy is big game. You need to be able to answer that card as a control deck. I don't really buy Grixis for that reason. I think having outs to Experimental Frenzy is very important. I mean, you can cobble together some stuff from the Grixis perspective to answer it. You're never going to be happy with the way you do so. And even one turn of it can completely blow you out. So I just think having answers to Experimental Frenzy is going to be very, very important for basically any deck that wants to play a longer game. Yeah, I think Grixis's main plan is to just kill you. It's stick Nickel Bolas, stick Doom maybe Whisperer. Doom Whisperer, yeah. some big threat that you can't deal with and just try and protect that. And they have very few outs, things like Justice Strike and Conclave Tribunal, but right. there there might be ways to actually like bounce Conclave Tribunal and then Thought Erasure it or counter it on the way down or something. And you know, like the split cards do a bunch of random stuff. So you might be able to figure out a way. Yeah, you can cobble something together, but you're right that the correct approach is probably just ending the game before you get to that point. Although it's tough. I mean, even like turn five experimental frenzy, you get to untap. The game has drastically changed from that point, for sure. I'm not saying it's easy. Yep. <laughs> uh, next deck is Luca Ashok playing mono red, splashing a little bit of white, kind of a bigger red deck with Rekindling Phoenix, Siege Gang Commander, and a very, very smart human with two experimental frenzies main deck. Despite the fact that he is kind of a larger version, he or she, I'm sorry, is kind of a larger version of Mono Red, leaning on Experimental Frenzy. Interesting. I, I think the card is just that good. It is, for sure. It, it's even a little awkward in this deck. I played a similar deck also on stream on Tuesday, and Shivan Fire, Fight with Fire, Lava Coil mm. is significantly worse with Experimental Frenzy than just playing Shock and Lightning Strike. Yeah, this is this is not the cleanest looking quote-unquote mono red list I've seen. I think there are some mistakes in, in building this deck, but there's also some things that are very right, including Experimental Frenzy being a core component of the game plan. Yeah, Frenzy main deck is huge. Sideboard, like the white is one copy of Response Resurgence and sideboard some Ixalan's Bindings and Deafening Clarions. And Ixalan's Binding is not really a card that I've included in a lot of my decks because Conclave Tribunal exists. But getting my experimental frenzy Ixalan's binding, especially when I was mono red, did not feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good thinking. Uh, maybe that's what we're doing already. It's already time to account for opposing experimental frenzies. Next deck is Gazmon 48 with a little mono blue uh, Ash Grabber slash Ken Yukihiro Jam. Uh, new cards are Night Veil Sprite mm -hmm. and full stop. So... I've played against this deck a lot in the queues. I, it keeps coming up over and over. I think it's very, very cheap. The only rare is Tempest Dijin, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's a ticket and a quarter. Yeah, so this is about as cheap if you as you can get into Magic Online. If you've been thinking about taking the plunge and being like, oh, I don't want to invest a lot of money, here you go. This is a competitive deck for almost nothing. Ooh, maybe, maybe I can use this to grind Arena. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a great Arena deck. But I'm also about to trash it in that I play against this deck a lot and I never lose to it ever. Mm. I don't know if that's I'm prepared for it or, you know, opponents who are just picking it up for the first time. It being very popular, you know, a lot of people are just starting to get this deck into their hands. So maybe haven't grown accustomed to all the play patterns yet. I'm not sure. But my success rate against this deck is very good. I like what it's doing on paper. It's It's got like this proactive plan that's backed up by counterspells. It's the closest thing to a fish deck we've seen in a very long time. 
but I never lose to it. So I don't really know what to make of it. If people are used to playing against legacy Delver decks, they will be able to play against this very well. I mean, certainly some of it too comes at deck building costs where there are going to be situations where you need to end step a removal spell and untap and like play a big swingy thing or play another removal spell, whatever. Like you need to be able to play around their counter spells. And I think that a lot of the decks that we're seeing, like these big clunky Golgari decks and whatnot are not going to play well against this style of deck. That's a fair assessment. And there's certainly a portion of the metagame that decks like this are designed to beat up. So maybe I've just been smart enough to stay away from that portion of the metagame thus far. I don't know. I don't I don't know where this deck is really making its money as it stands right now. Yeah, Mono Red seems tough. And even things like Boros, I think any of the white go wide creature decks can probably just do their thing a little bit better than you can. And cards like Dive Down and Essence Scatter and stuff are not that great against them. So I think this is a nice metagame sleeper, though. Okay. Next deck, Chiron. I'm sure there's a French pronunciation Sharon the mage playing blue white control and I think this is one of only two control decks that show up some interesting stuff 27 land which I like a main deck copy of disdainful stroke a main deck copy of negate two devious cover-ups which is the four mana counterspell shuffle in four cards and two copies of mission briefing which I actually don't really hate because it's counterspell or settle the wreckage shrug there is no one on the planet who wants Devious Cover-Up to be better than I do. I, I I want this card to be part of my life so badly. I don't know if I buy it yet. Like you, enjoy 27 lands. It feels correct. The mana is going to be a struggle in this deck. There's not a lot you can do to mitigate that. I think four Field of Ruin is also correct. I like leaning on that very hard. You know, there's a lot of good stuff here that has to overcome some fundamental problems. And that's the lack of an acceptable mana base and there are still just some things you are vulnerable to and you know if decks are set up to play around you they will find ways to do so i still dislike history of banalia plans out of the sideboards of these type of decks i just think there's something better you can do if you want to find a proactive threat but i will say that playing some control Nezahal is a card which I hated in the last format. I thought it was just absolutely unplayable. You were making an incredible mistake by putting it in your deck. I do not feel that way any longer. I think the answers have changed. Obviously, not having access to a stifle effect anymore does a lot to help Nezahal stock. This card has become much more important for control mirrors. I would have a copy in most of my control deck sideboards right now. So a little takeaway here. I don't know that you're going to sell me on blue-white right now. I I need to see a little bit more. Uh, The fact the deck is leaning on mission briefing to find acceptable spells to play really has me concerned because, man, the rate on that card is so bad. I don't know. I want this to work. I don't buy it quite yet. I don't think the mana is that bad. Like, yes, you are playing Meandering River, but it's not the end-all be-all, you know? You're looking for UU on turn three and white, white on turn four with a deck that has a bunch of tap lands and like really needs to get that fourth land on time. If you top deck a meandering river, it's just absolutely disastrous for you. That's why we're playing 27 land. And again, I can't stress how important that is. I always see people go to 26. It drives me crazy. I love 27 here. You'll feel your mana base from time to time. That's all I'm saying. It's not that it's a disastrous mana base. It's just, it's going to cost you a game at some point. And that matters over the course of a long tournament. Yeah, of course. 
So what is the best shell with four Teferi? Because that's the big question, right? It is. And I've been working on some Jeskai stuff that I'm starting to get excited about. The fact that I have worked Sarkin into the mix somehow has me very excited. That card is excellent with jumpstart cards. And just as a three mana planeswalker that like your opponent must answer, a persistent looting effect in control decks where you often have dead cards, you're happy to have access to it. You're making sure you're hitting all your land drops. I've been very impressed with Sarkin base control decks. I only played three Teferi. I think that was a mistake. I was supposed to play four in my list. And, and you can find this list over on Star City today. But I don't know yet that it's the best shell for Teferi. I just think we need more time to really understand where Teferi is supposed to slot in this metagame. I'd be surprised if this is it, though. Fair enough. Uh, Turbo Fog still a thing. Yes, it is. Very true. Yep. Uh, instead of Devious Cover-Up, can't this blue eye control deck just play two Nexus of Fate? Sure. I, I mean, I love that inclusion in control, and I think it's an adaptation these decks should be looking to make. I shared, I played it in Modern recently, in Modern Blue Eye Control, and was pretty impressed by the card. It honestly did the job very well. Granted, there you get to Jace and go find your copies again. But here, I mean, Teferi, in combination with a flip search for Ascanta, far better than Jace. You're seeing way more cards, and that's an endgame you can definitely lean on. Yeah. Next deck is from Bertram, and it's another Boros deck, uh, completely lacking in one-drops. We have some Lightning Strikes in the mix, main deck Deafening Clarions, Adanto Vanguard, four Resplendent Angel, four Lyra, three Shalai, three Aurelia. Basically Angel Tribal. Yeah, straight up Angel Tribal. <laughs> Look, I don't know how people put together decks like this where you have, and not only does he have no one drops, or excuse me, they have no one drop, they have very few two drops as well. So this deck is really looking to move up the curve and, and then start playing super powerful spells. I don't know how to build decks like this, but this looks kind of impressive on paper. Like if you're just curving out and doing your thing, these are some of the most powerful openers you can possibly present. I agree. I mean, Adano Vanguard is fine, not super great on defense. And then you have Knight of Grace and Lightning Strike. So Deafening Clarion basically has to pick up a lot of the slack. And it does. Which- it, it, it lines up well with the format right now. I'll say that. And then the sideboard has all the seal aways and settle the wreckages that you could ever possibly want. Right. So I don't know. Medium is is my guess, but uh, for Lyra and ways to protect her in a week one metagame does not seem like the worst choice. I agree. Next up, we have Moose Droppings. Uh, this is this is like a U deck, right? This this is literally my deck from my article on Star City last week. Okay. Well, tell tell us about. Llanowar Elves, Elvish Rejuvenator, Druid of the Cowl, Golgari. Yeah, I mean, this is this is basically what I was speaking about earlier when we were talking about Golgari. It's a ton of mana sources designed to basically get you to the same endgame every single time as soon as possible. That endgame being Doom Whisperer into Azoni Thousand Eyed. I have tweaked this deck list a little bit. If you're looking at it right now, Veraska's out. I don't think it's good enough. I'm up to four fine finalities. Uh, I have a third Azoni. I have the Isareths in there now. So I've definitely moved some things around. If you check me out over on Twitter, I posted my most recent list today and you can take a look at that. But really leaning hard into this type of snowball deck. The thought is you play your first Doom Whisperer ahead of curve and it leads into whatever's next, be it a second Doom Whisperer or an Azoni. And it's very difficult for your your opponents to come back from that point. Next deck, we have AVB with uh, one, of, one of my decks, actually. Uh, this is Grixis Midrange, Nicol Bolas, Dream Eater, one Bone Dragon, four copies of the Eldest Reborn, 
main deck Argul's Bloodfasts, mostly a tap-out strategy, and we have access to some Moment of Cravings and Vraska's Contempts for life gain. Have you gotten to play with this deck yet? I played it a little bit yesterday and just like kind of hated it, but that that was more a product of... Well, I, I blew it against Mono Red, which is not ideal. And the mana is kind of shaky, and just I don't think tap out control really works for me. <laughs> like, I, I think I might just be bad at it. I don't know. I often feel the same thing when playing tap out control. I'm like, where are my counter spells? The, the card I really wanted to get a review on was Dream Eater. What's been your experience with that card so far? I don't think that this is a Dream Eater format, at least currently. It does not block well. The format is not as mid-rangey. I think it's, you know, a, a, a hair under mid-range, basically. Like, the decks are, like, a little bit too fast. People are playing one-drops. They're trying to get you dead. But certainly when I cast Dream Eater, getting to bounce a thing, eat a thing, surveil a bunch, it, you know, like, I, I got to find a very strong card to play on my next turn. So... I do think that Dream Eater is powerful. It just doesn't necessarily line up with what people are doing right now. I know this is such a non-useful way to evaluate cards, but I keep defaulting to thinking about if this card had a fourth point of toughness, it is so, so good. It's just tremendous. It, it's able to block three power creatures, survive, bounce a thing, surveil four. It just goes completely off the charts at four power or excuse me, four toughness. And the three toughness is kind of its biggest weak point. And I think that might make the world of difference as to how playable this card ultimately ends up being. Maybe it's interesting though, because a lot of the time you're trying to eat their small thing and bounce their bigger thing anyway. So outside of lightning strike and things like that, it, the third toughness doesn't really strike me as a huge issue. I don't know. I mean, there's things like Tajik, there's Goblin Chain Whirler, there's Resplendent Angels starting to show up again. I feel like there's a, kind of a breaking point at three power. Maybe I'm overstating it, and that's not actually what the format is about. And it, you're right. It is, just, it is a big deal. I just I don't think that that is the thing that is making this card bad. I think it's a six mana flash card that I don't know. For for the most part, like I, I would just prefer Doom Whisperer as five mana six six flying vanilla. You know. Right. I can buy that. And that thing is basically indestructible against red decks. So. Yeah, yeah, that's been my experience as well. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Moment of Craving is good. Ritual of Soot has not really impressed me so far. And most of that is just a product of like Golden Demise would kill everything that Ritual of Soot would, except for right. a few separate things. So I might actually make that shift, especially since this deck has a lot of fours and not a lot of threes. Yeah, one Steel Leaf Champion is not your main focal point anymore. And I, and I think correctly so, that's where we started our analysis of the format. Right. You needed to answer Steel Leaf Champion. But now that things have changed a little bit, I'm inclined to go with Golden Demise as well. Next deck is from Lagzilla. And people have been talking about this, and I don't know why. This is <laughs> blue-black, uh, just straight Demir surveil disinformation campaign. Uh, a bunch of Doom Whispers, a couple Dream Eaters, Ritual of Soot, Thought Erasure, No Notion Rain, which is weird, but I guess if you want to play Sinister Sabotage, you got to make some sacrifices. And yeah, man, I don't know. I don't get it. I was dying to hear your review on this deck. Uh, it seems like all anyone is talking about, at least uh, around Twitter, people are very, very excited about Disinformation Campaign right now. It's busted and limited. Yeah, it is. And a lot of times that's important of a card that can be ported over to 
constructed if you work hard enough around it. I have not played with or against disinformation campaign in constructed, so I am kind of holding my tongue a little bit. I want some hard experience before I really take a hard stance against this card because that's where I want to fall. Look, if you're trying to find a late game engine, something you can sink a ton of mana into, it just seems like there's way better options out there than disinformation campaign. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm undervaluing how important just a recurring source of discard is. And I've felt it in limited games. Like I've been absolutely crushed under the weight of disinformation campaign. Same. But limited's different. It's it's not the same format. And I don't know, four of main deck. I can buy it as a sideboard card for certain matchups. But on its face, I don't think this is where these decks are supposed to go. Uh, I reserve the right to recant that statement once I've gotten some games in either with or against it. Yeah, especially if Nullhide Ferox is supposed to be the mono green jam, you know, I moved away from Burglar Rats pretty quickly because of that. And like you said, this does strike me as a sideboard card. But even when I'm building my decks and my sideboards, I would much rather have access to Argul's Bloodfast or Search for Escanta than this card. Yeah, I mean, it could be a function of the way I build decks, but I am inclined to like just look for as many cards as possible, and then I'll find my answers, not these kind of plinky things that don't really accomplish all that much and certainly don't accomplish anything on board. So, Yeah, there's just a, a series of turns where you just can't even play it because they could play Teferi, you know? Like, right. it just it does not strike me as very good, but maybe there's something here. I mean, if nothing else... You can look at this as a surveil deck doing well and just kind of like chalk that up as a victory, right? Sure. Next deck is by Random Drooler, a.k.a. Steve Mann, a.k.a. all four drops or all four mana cards, rather, but also a lot of four drops. So I have been playing with one Azoni, two Azoni, and you went up to three. I thought that was kind of crazy. Steve Mann just has all four copies of Azoni in his deck, along with four Ritual of Soot and four Find Finality. Yeah, Steve is kind of doing the same type of thing I want to do, like just recognizing this is the best possible late game. I'm going to get to it as fast as possible. But doing so without ramp and just using the value engines of Jade Light Ranger, Dusk Legion Zealot, and looking for extra cards as opposed to extra mana. I can see the appeal in that. I think, you know, this is really a question of, do you believe in Azoni? If so, you can take either one of those two approaches. I do believe in Azoni. I would go my route over this route, but I like the deck building approach. Very linear, very clearly identified. Okay, this is the thing that I can do week one and really take advantage of it. So I'm going to lean in as hard as possible. And I love the four find finality as well. How do you feel about four copies of Cast Down, zero copies of Assassin's Trophy? That seems strange to me. It's aggressive. Um, it is aggressive. Yeah. You could do some split there, I think, and probably not get super punished for it. A 2-2 is fine if you're not a huge believer in Assassin's Trophy, but I do believe you probably want some answers to random permanence. And, you know, the times you're destroying a Teferi, you'll be pretty happy you had the Assassin's Trophy instead. Four Ritual of Soot also seems pretty crazy to me. Essentially, you already have finality to do some catch-up work but i don't know i mean he's he's making a bet on if i get to the late game there is nothing you can do against me i will be unstoppable via forazoni uh so i will do whatever it takes to get there ritual of soot kite sail freebooter is also awkward it is it is there's there's some awkward stuff going on here i'm not gonna lie oh well uh next deck can you can you pronounce this i don't know how to pronounce this i also don't i'm sorry 
Joao would be my guess. I have no idea if that's correct. J-O-A-O. Joao Andrade would be my guess. Yeah. We're, we're ignorant. Forgive us. This is effectively mono green, splashing three Conclave Tribunal, four Amara, one Shauna, four Venerated Loxodon, and some Flower Flourishes. So... I don't like these mono green decks. I've I've made that clear. I don't think this is where I want to be. I do think this version of mono green is better than the splash black versions I've seen previously. Yo, me too. I, I actually kind of like this one. I don't think it's great, but when you, you're pretty good at putting a bunch of mopey things onto the battlefield, right? And then your yes. opponent will probably stabilize and then you have flourish to close and flower flourish is insane. It is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we have some control over the sizing of our creatures, which is very important. We have some engine type stuff in Amara, Soul of the Accord, which I really like. Conclave Tribunal just being this broader answer. Uh, I know they were generally doing Assassin's Trophy stuff before, so they had it. But this is without the drawback, and they convoke very, very well. I'm a buyer in this deck. I, it wouldn't be my first choice, but like I said, a huge step up over the previous in- incarnations of Mono Green. Yep, and Sideboard has... Uh, a light angel package and some Dawn of Hopes. And Dawn of Hope, I think, is strong, but uh, certainly way worse than Experimental Frenzy in trying to do what, what that card is trying to do. Yeah, yeah, it's only going to be that. If you're choosing to play Dawn of Hope, I would assume it's because you don't have access to Experimental Frenzy. Otherwise, you're probably making a mistake. Correct. Next deck is BCU... Almost mono red, splashing a little bit of white. Uh, This one is dragons with three copies of Sarkin, four demanding dragon, two Varric's blade wing. So not a ton of dragons, Uh, two spit flames, some justice strikes, shivan fires, usual. Uh, I like Sarkin a lot. I've still been very impressed by the card. It is waiting to find a home. I'm not sure about some of the other stuff. I do think Chain Whirler is probably like a little underplayed right now due to the supporting cast having decreased in value. So this is maybe more of a concession to Chain Whirler than anything else, finding potential shells for it. Uh, As far as power level goes on Chain Whirler shells, this one's a little bit higher than your typical Chain Whirler deck. A lot more late game in the form of Sarkin and his, his dragons. So, you know, something interesting here. Not a total buyer, but I like the approach and I like trying to maximize Sarkin a lot. Demanding Dragon's not that bad. It's not great, but it's not that bad. It's tolerable. I mean, certainly you would never consider it without Sarkin. That's really what's going on here. Yeah, I agree completely. Deck is fine. Worth noting, no experimental frenzies, even though it combos quite well with Sarkin. Yeah, you think this deck can just get away with it despite the high converted mana costs? I don't know. I mean, your removal is all really cheap. You have Runaway Steamkin, which can potentially allow you to do some cool stuff. And then building up mana to cast Banefire out of the sideboard or something seems completely reasonable. Yeah, I think you need to get a lot of cards out of your deck, too, to be able to go to the Experimental Frenzy plan, which also might be part of the problem here. Yeah, maybe. Next deck, Salmonator 777, another Boros deck. Uh, This one... Big Boros. Yeah, also no one drops. And... Some angels, uh, three Lyra, three Resplendent Angel, three Aurelia, and also four Rekindling Phoenix. Dominating Air Force. So this is a way to skip all the board stalls, board stalls on the ground. A lot of powerful cards here, too. You can't deny the power level of this deck. Between History of Banalia into Rekindling Phoenix into Lyra, 
there's not much in the format that can do more powerful stuff than that three, four, five punch. Uh, does it all come together as a cohesive package? I'm not sure. I really dislike Swiftblade Vindicator here. I think there's got to be a better option in that slot, given everything else that's going on. Your only real mentor payoff is in the form of Tajik. So pass on that card. Some of the other stuff is neat, though. I, I like some of what's going on here. Integrity can save some of your creatures from burn spells. So it kind of makes sense that you have Swiftblade Vindicator in the deck. But I agree, even just having like the toughness from Boros Challenger might be better. But yeah, this deck is also very lacking in two mana cards and does not have any Deafening Clarion's main deck to clean up. So a little bit on the awkward side, but uh, if you just get to jam big things every turn and, and that plan is good, then this deck is probably fine. Yeah, and you know, Resplendent Angel into Aurelia into Lyra Dawnbringer and you've caught up from whatever deficit you had previously. Obviously, that's a very optimal, nice curve and all those things need to survive. So we're living in magical Christmas land, but you do have some catch-up mechanisms. For sure. Next deck, Maze and Brew 47, Mono Green, Splashing Black for three Assassin's Trophy. We have Nullhide Ferox, three copies of Vine Mare, and that's about it. Pretty normal stuff. Hard pass. Yeah. I mean, me too, but... I just, I can't find a reason to want to play this deck right now. It, if people are doing silly things, you can catch them unaware. I think we've officially moved past the silly things portion of the format and things are starting to get a little bit real and the time for this deck has come and gone. I will say that Shaper Sanctuary actually looks pretty decent because a lot of these decks have like 10 to 12 spot removal spells, but even still. So this deck could play, I, this is the card name. In every set, there's one card name I can't remember, and I just call it by the old version of it. This deck has access to black and can play the Grim Harris specs as opposed to Shaper Sanctuary. Do you know the name of the card I'm trying to say? Midnight Reaper. Midnight Reaper. You do Midnight Reaper stuff instead, which in a lot of spots could be better. Um, I get there are somewhat different cards. I, I don't know. I'm surprised not more decks have picked up that card. It's been very impressive for me where I've utilized it. I've played with Midnight Reaper. It's fine. Uh, I mean... The problem with it is that it eats the first removal spell and then you just end up cycling it, whereas the Sanctuary stays in play and continually gives you an advantage even against things like Chupacabra. So For sure. It depends what removal they're relying on. Yeah, and there, I, there's also things like Lava Coil and Conclave Tribunal that just get rid of Midnight Reaper, period. So I, I played a lot with Midnight Reaper in one of my Golgari shells and just mostly have moved away from it. Okay. Next up, we have little Abzan special. I, I'm not going to do the math, but I imagine this mana base is pretty bad. Four Assassin's Trophy, four Vraska's Contempt, three Eldest Reborn, two, two big Vraska, one Karn, uh, some Knights, some Brontodons, some Doom Whisperers. So we are splashing for Shalai, Knight of Grace, Knight of Autumn. Yeah. One of these cards I buy as being worthy of a splash. Do you want to guess which one it is? Night of Autumn? Correct. And I think if you if there was a little bit more discipline here and that was the only inclusion, you may be able to get me on board. Because like you said, this mana base is, it's not pretty. You're asking a lot there's, out of your deck. There's not even Flower Flourish or District Guide or anything. Right, right. There's no fixing. You just need to draw one of your seven, no, nine sources. And then you have Field of Ruin if you would like to count that as well. So. 
that seems problematic to me. But I think Knight of Autumn is an important card in the format right now. I like it in this deck. Just find something else to do with those other slots. And then if you, you know, want some access to some one white mana sideboard cards, I'm okay with that. Here we see Lyra Dawnbringer, Cleansing Nova. Uh, don't really buy that you can get away with that in any kind of reliable fashion. I do like the Profane Procession out of the sideboard. Been a minute since we've seen that card, yep. but I like that as a little one of. I think there's something here. There is a shell. These cards seem very powerful on their face. Nice mid-rangey kind of creature deck, but there has to be a little bit more discipline in card selection and mana in my eyes. There's 14 sources of black for four Vraska's Contempt and three Doom Whisperer, which also seems a little light. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pushing it here for sure. Next up, we have Hades Blade with a little Jeskai control deck. Four copies of Expansion Explosion, which coupled with Ionize can maybe get in the last few points. And Expansion is kind of interesting in Counter Wars, but this deck's a little wild. So I played against Andy Peters, one of the hosts of the First Strike podcast. I played against him in a Moto Q. He was playing basically this deck and I was also playing control. He had copy. He had four expansion explosions in his deck. He used two of them to counter two of my key spells in a counter war. He used a third to X me for five and used a fourth to X me for 12 and win the game. So in control matchups, this card is super, super impressive. It is both a source of card advantage and counter spells for forcing through your key cards at two mana, which is very, very important. I think I buy this as a four of. It really depends on what the format is about. Certainly, there's going to be some spots where you have to board this out. I also like it too, because in Jeskai Control, if you're not leaning super hard on your white mana as I wasn't, so I did not have access to Settle the Wreckage, being able to double Deafening Clarion or other damage-based sweeper can also be very important for clearing up very large boards. It doesn't come up a ton, but it's nice to have access to. Uh, on the whole, I was higher on Expansion Explosion than I thought I would be. Okay. No, that's legit. How do you feel about 28 land? Love it. Love it. Let's go 29. <laughs> Let's just see how many lands we can get in there. No, that's kind of cool. Uh, I think that Hades Blade is still working out the kinks. There's a, a lot of twos and, and whatnot in this deck list. Three Teferi, one Ral strikes me as kind of odd also. Me too. But yeah, cool deck. It's hard to get the removal spells right for these decks. I'll tell you that now, having worked on it a bunch. And when I shared my list uh, and what we would play today, I basically made that disclaimer. Like, feel free to move these removal spells around because the mana costs of the spells combined with your access to mana and the threats in the format makes it very difficult to arrive at a concrete removal suite that answers everything you're concerned about. Yeah. Part of the battle is going to be figuring out what to include in those slots. And that's going to change on a week to week basis. So good luck control mages. Yeah, we have our works cut out for us for sure. I like how that is basically a, uh, if you copy my list exactly and you don't like the removal suite, it's not my fault. Right. Like, I don't want to hear about yeah, it. Don't blame, don't <laughs> Go yell somewhere me. else. I'm going to start doing that with all my deck lists. I'll put disclaimers out for every single one. Oh, I try and do that with every sideboarding guide just in case people sideboard in a certain way and then they end up not liking it. Or they like, I tell them to bring in a disenchant if the opposing deck has an ensnaring bridge, they don't have it and they just draw this dead disenchant and then like their opponent makes fun of them. It's like, I don't want to be responsible for that, you know? No, you're right though. I mean, you have, you have to be flexible. All, all this advice we give is always meant to be taken as a starting point, not a gospel. Right. And if it is gospel, we'll tell you. 
Yeah. Like Fine Finality and Experimental Frenzy are dope. I'll sign off on that. Next up, we have Termidor. And I like this deck. This is 10 planes, 12 duels, including four Celestia Guild Gates. Banalish Marshall base token deck. A little bit on the weird side with four copies of Song of Fraylis, four Yavamaya Sapherd, and three March of the Multitudes. A little bit on the weird side, he says. This, this seems a lot on the weird side. To Very me. on the weird side. Fine. So we're looking to snowball real hard here with the combination of Song of Fraley's March of the Multitudes, just leaning really hard into that kind of explosive convokish type turn, large mana type turns. I, I don't know. I, I could buy this as just being very proactive, very straightforward, and very powerful. Song of Fraley's is a card that deserves to be played and constructed and just hasn't found a home yet. Yeah, I don't know. See, when when I was looking at this deck and like trying to build my own version and stuff, it's just like I've, I've had bad experiences with Song of Fraley's. I feel like Song of Fraley's could instead just be like Flower Flourish or something, and it would be better. Mm, maybe, maybe. I, I guess like how many mana sinks do you really have for a song when you consider your biggest sink already has Convoke? Right. So that doesn't matter at all. I mean, it, le- it lets you do cute things with Amara. Yeah, and you have tons of payoff in Shalai. You know, if you ever have a million mana, dumping it all into Shalai is very nice. But if you have six mana, you could also just flourish. Uh, yes, you could. Yes, you could. One thing I will note about this mana base is that, so there's the 12 duels and a forest and 10 planes. And I guess the forest doesn't even really make sense without flower flourish, but whatever. They're, they're kind of trying to curve like Sky Marcher Aspirant into two drop green white creature into Benelish Marshall. And that is very difficult unless you draw Sun Petal Grove or Temple Garden. Yes. And you can play Unclaimed Territory to fit the requirements for Shauna and Benelish Marshall. And I think Unclaimed Territory is just this thing that is is kind of like this hidden dual land in the format that especially for a lot of these two color creature decks like people need to explore more yeah the more i look into unclaimed territory the more exciting things i find for it it always reveals something new to me every time i sit down to do some deck building with it like oh these two creatures can be cast off this i get that people are a little risk adverse and here you know having something like history of banalia it's tough i mean i i get the concern you ever draw two copies you're in a a world of trouble but I also agree that it's underutilized right now. And I think that that could be the next aspect of deck building that's really pushed. It wouldn't surprise me if, say, the breakout deck at the Pro Tour was built around maximizing that land to its fullest. Because right. it's, it's a challenging thing to do. It's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, a lot of it is the the secondary creature types, too. It's like, who's a soldier and who's a knight and all this stuff. And who's a shaman. Right. Uh, and for History of Benalia, I don't think that argument really plays because the deck still has 23 white sources as is, which is super generous. Okay. So yeah. you can you can afford to make some concessions there. It's not like we're talking about Chain Whirler, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, sideboard is also weird. Legion's Landing in the sideboard, two Citywide Bust, two Divine Visitation, a Camaraderie, three Sorcerer's Spyglass. Like, this deck is weird, but I like it. I'm curious when... This person is like, okay, it's time for Divine Visitation. Like, what spots does that happen in? Probably Control. Just any deck that's sweeping you a bunch. Now, when you make tokens, you're just making Angels. Seems strong. All right. I I just don't know when to apply a card like this. It it seems like a lot of times it's win more to me. 
Um, so you need to find situations where it's making the difference and it, it's hard for me to envision those, but maybe controls the spot. I mean, you are sticking a five mana sorcery speed, do nothing against the control deck. That's kind of iffy. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy. None of this is easy, but with like, you have a Maya Sappard history, uh, you have Amara potentially March of the multitudes. I mean, you have mm-hmm. enough token makers. There's even a memorial to glory hiding out in the mana base. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like thought was put into this, you know? Yep. Next deck, uh, underscore GMF, underscore, mono red, 23 mountains, one field of ruin, smart individual, three experimental frenzies, and three treasure maps to combo with them. Oh, uh, it goes beyond that. I mean, field also, of ruin. Sure. Two dismissive pyromancers also right. helps. Right. And the majority of the removal spells are shocks and lightning strikes, which can go to the face. Yep. Captain Lannery Storm, so you have access to more mana for your Experimental Frenzy turn. This person identified Experimental Frenzy might be one of the best cards in the set and yep. lean into it as hard as possible. Oh, so yeah. This is, this is good deck building. Sideboard four Sentinel Totems is also pretty tight. Wowzers. <laughs> That's serious. <laughs> so I, I don't know exactly how good this is. I will say that Treasure Map Experimental Frenzy is pretty solid and playing Experimental Frenzy with a bunch of proactive stuff like Lightning Strike and Shock is almost certainly correct versus the alternative like shiv and fires and whatnot, even though the shocks will mostly be used on creatures. Right. So keep that in mind next deck. Oh yeah. We're, we're back to Abzan town, brother. So we are. (laughs) I'm parsing through this one right now. This is green, white knights splashing assassins trophy and knight of malice. So a little bit uh, more restraint being shown here. Four Isolated Chapel, four Overgrown Tomb, two Woodland Cemetery. So 10 Black Sources for three Trophy, one Status Statue, and four Knight of Malice. And I Just keep- why, why do we have to splash the Knight of Malice? Is it that important that we can't live without it? I mean, we're already asking so much from our mana. It seems like there's, there's good green-white two-drops that you can have access to as opposed to Knight of Malice. But then you would have to play Concla- Conclave Tribunal instead of Assassin's Trophy. Man, that would okay. that would just be a shame, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there's like a good core here. I think Conclave Cavalier is an interesting addition. Uh, kind of neat against red decks, certainly. It's a huge brick wall, creates a lot of bodies. So it's not the worst against even, you know, removal-based decks, as long as they're not relying on Vraska's Contempt. I no. love for Night of Autumn. So I thought that about Conclave Cavalier. I thought it would be really good. And then it just gets like lava coiled and stuff. It's like secretly bad, I think. Ooh, lava coil is a problematic one. Yeah. They don't always have it, okay? They, <laughs> They're not they going to have it. They don't always have it, but still. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I would have to play a bit to see how often that comes up. A kind of large body, though, is exactly what we're looking for. A, a vigilance threat against red decks would be worth a lot right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it... If Lava Coil did not exist, I would be all about it in red matchups, as long as you had a way to answer Rekindling Phoenix. Right, right. But yeah, man, uh, rest of this deck, little loose. I was initially thinking maybe you could like cut some planes for unclaimed territory, since the majority of your things are knights, except for uh, Pell Collector, so you wouldn't really want to cut any of the green sources, but then you have History of Benalia and 22 land, so it doesn't seem like you really have enough white sources for History to be doing that. Yeah, there's 13 you. Yeah. Maybe Pell Collector just doesn't matter all that much. Yeah. I mean, I could see moving away from three forests, but then it gets 
harder to cast Conclave Cavalier. So, right, 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 right. It's a puzzle. It's it's a constant puzzle. Anytime you try and go to unclaimed territory. Oh yeah, it's fun though. Knight, I, I like it. Yeah, I agree with you. Knights is a creature type that certainly. I think is probably underexplored as it stands right now. You can do some things with knights. I agree. And most of the cards have knight in their name. So it should be pretty easy. Makes it easy. Yeah. Next deck is from uh, noted brewer, Tulio Jowdy. Uh, another Absan deck. Yeah. This, this, this one's okay though. This is only for Knight of Autumn and some fall of the Thrands in the sideboard. And I guess remorseful cleric, but whatever. Right, leaning really hard on Wild Growth Walker, a card that has impressed me when I've played it. Uh, it. It plays so much better than it reads on its face. It seems like it would be underwhelming. It does just often take over games. This deck looks to be very well positioned against the red decks. And if you are concerned about red, I see why you want to go this route. I'm a little concerned about lack of ways to deal with Experimental Frenzy. I guess you have Night of Autumn you could always lean on. That, that seems fine to me. I'm okay with that. And for fine Finality again, I'm with that as well. So a lot to like here for sure. Yeah, my problem with Wild Growth Walker, I do think the card is great, but the main issue is that it makes you play with cards that say Explore on them. Like Seeker Squire? Yes. Yeah. And Merfolk Branch Walker and to a lesser extent Jade Light Ranger. These cards are all just super medium. They are. They are. I guess you can eat that if you're convinced you're going to be facing a lot of red, though, because the payoff is dramatic in that matchup. Really dramatic. Yeah. You you have to be pretty sure of that fact. Yep. Next deck. No more Hawks. This is Bant mid-range-ish with Karn, Teferi, two Mox Amber, History of Benalia, an Urza's Ruinous Blast in there randomly, a couple dry green seekers and some angels. Uh, I, I don't know where to start with this. I don't know how these decks get made. Inclusion of Teferi in decks like this seems crazy to me. I do like Urza's Ruinous Blast. It feels like maybe that card should be seen a little bit more play than it currently is, especially out of the green-white decks, which have more than enough legends to lean on when it comes to reliably casting this card. I would like to see a few more copies of this card floating around. Uh, on the whole, I don't think we really need the blue here. It it's not accomplishing all that much. It's just upping the power level without really doing anything for your deck. Yeah, I mostly agree with that. Uh, Green-white wanting to play with negate, I understand. And Teferi sort of makes sense once you're there, but I'm not sure that this is necessarily better than anything else, especially when you already have like three Lyra in your deck. More dry green seekers though. Yeah, second appearance for dried green seeker. Don't think that was a card I expected to see a lot of today, but here we are. Yeah, me either. Next up, a Nast 1997, another Boros deck. Uh, this one is leaning a little harder on Mentor stuff with Swiftblade Vindicator, Tajik, Legion Warboss, Goblin Banneret, Boros Challenger, and Aurelia. So, Goblin Banneret. This is Banneret. The first Banneret we've seen today? Yes. This card's good. It is good. I'm surprised there's not more of this card floating around. I, I think this is a powerful inclusion for both this and Mono Red. Uh, Goblin Banneret and Legion's Landing. So, they're splitting the one drops, which is not really a thing that we've seen a whole lot of people do. Let me see. A lot of these Boros cards are just soldiers too. Right. Yes, they are. So more potential for unclaimed territory shenanigans. Boros Challenger, Goblin Banneret, Legion Warboss, Swiftblade Vindicator, and Tajik are all soldiers. Yes, this is maybe how we're getting to like, if we want to do Benelish Marshall type things, we might be able to get there. Well, that's a that's a human knight. Oh, are you kidding me? 
Yeah. This is what happens every single time I try and build with unclaimed territories. They pop up with the wrong creature type. Yeah, that's a knight. I had a list of soldiers at one point. I was trying to like build around Radiant Destiny, but uh, unclaimed territory might also be another good payoff. Right. Yeah, uh, pretty reasonable Boros deck. Uh, Lightning Strike, Integrity, Intervention. No history of Banalia main, possibly because of the Goblin Bannerets spinning the mana in the opposite direction. So I don't know how I feel about that. 16 white sources. I mean, we just saw someone attempt to play History of Banalia with 12 white sources. So I understand what's going on here and I respect the discipline, but I just want History of Banalia. I think it's the best card in this deck as it stands right now. Yeah. I would be more excited about history than Legion War Boss. Right. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Next up, Toggle's Woggle, Mono White, Benelish Marshal, Dauntless Bodyguard, Knight of Grace, Leonin Vanguard, Skymutcher Aspirant, Venerated Loxodon, some Snubhorn Sentries, Pride of Conquerors, Legion's Landing History, Benalia, Conclave Tribunal. So just as go wide as you could possibly hope for with 20 planes. Not my style of deck. I'm sure Craig Wesco is very excited somewhere right now to see this existing. I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to play Snubhorn Sentry in a deck like this. It just seems like it's taking too long before it's actually doing anything and you need to get your opponent dead very quickly. Maybe I'm undervaluing it. I'm not sure. I don't know. There's 18 one drops. I think that you would go wide very quickly. You want as many one drops as you can possibly get your hands on for Venerated Loxodon. And Vanguard as well, actually. Yeah. And then you have Benelish Marshall, Pride of Conquerors to pump. So... Mm. And there are only three, so it, it seems like, okay, this was the worst option, but I just need a critical mass of one drops. Yeah, and then you're mono white, so your sideboard doesn't have a whole lot of options. Right, right. Next up, we have Ryume, which might be the best deck, I think, on this list. This is 22 Mountain, 3 Flame of Keld, 3 Wizards Lightning, 4 Shock, 4 Lightning Strike, 4 Risk Factor, and 20 Red Creatures. Is this deck just better if those Flame of Keld are Experimental Frenzies? Uh, my version of this deck cuts a Risk Factor for a Mountain and then has three Flame of Kelds at, or three Experimental Frenzies as Flame of Kelds and then a slightly okay. different sideboard. But okay. yes, I do, I do believe so. And I, I played against a deck that had Experimental Frenzy and Risk Factor and it was kind of weird, but also kind of good. That is very weird. Once once you hit the point where you have now put a experimental frenzy into play, risk factor obviously does very very little. Well, they're just like you know, you cast it off the top of your deck. Maybe you can cast some other instance off the top of your deck, and then they probably just let you draw cards. And then whenever you want to blow up the frenzy, you just can. So it is it is super weird, but I I think it's more of a feature than a bug. Would you like to give a review on Risk Factor right now? In decks with Lightning Strike, Shock, and Wizard's Lightning, and Viashino Pyromancer, I think it's good. I don't know that I would necessarily start four, but I do think it is just a completely playable card because at some point your creatures are going to stop being able to deal them damage. Yeah, this might be the best Punisher card that we've ever seen. Uh, these cards are usually quite awful. This card is good, and I have been impressed by playing Risk Factor. Yeah, you generally have to pay four on the first one. Hope that you have some semblance of board position. And then you either pay four or let them draw, depending on where the game is. And it's like, all right, I'll pay four, go to a kind of a low life, and then try and get some life gain thing going. 
or you just let them draw and hope that it's a bunch of bricks, you know, but it does put you in a really awkward position very quickly. Yes, it does. And then I've seen some versions of this deck that also are main decking like rekindling Phoenix and stuff. And I think that's just a little too slow. I think for the most part, you just want to make people's removal bad against you. Yeah, and playing a lot of cheap creatures, you care very little about things like Vraska's Contempt. Go ahead, Vraska's Contempt, my fanatical firebrand. I'll come out ahead on that. Right. Do we want to talk about Runaway Steamkin here, since this is kind of the poster child for that card? Uh, sure. Why don't Why don't you give us your impressions of Runaway Steamkin thus far? Uh, it dies on sight every time, and rightly so. It's good to have lightning rods. I have actually seen this against me in play very few times thus far. I, I don't really know if I'm just running above expectation in my Runaway Steamkin showdowns or, or what. Generally, like you said, you just kill it immediately. But it certainly can take over a game where it gets to do its thing. You know, I was low on this card after my block constructed foray. When curves get much lower and decks start to look like this and you become a believer in Experimental Frenzy, which I wasn't quite all the way there. Uh, this card starts looking a lot better and you get to some combo-ish type potential with Runaway Steamkin and 100% I'm a buyer in that context. And it's quite good with risk factor, just in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And then the sideboard, four copies of Diamond Mirror, which I think is really important for decks that are very similar to this. And four fight with fire, three lava coil. Again, pretty important for red decks to be able to deal with bigger stuff. And then just some random Legion war bosses. I wouldn't be too upset to see fiery cannonade for tokens. And maybe like there should definitely be experimental frenzies in the sideboard. Uh, But it just seems like they missed it. And then maybe you could play like treasure map or some other card drawer. Rekindling Phoenix as a sticky threat, but Right. Red Red still has reasonable sideboard options, even if they're not that good. Yeah, I I feel like if I end up playing the PTQ this weekend, it will be unfair of me not to have put in adequate reps with this style of mono red. I, I need to know exactly what it's capable of. Yeah. And people need so much hate to beat you. And we're not quite there yet. Final deck, Ziggin Yuhei. Probably butchered that. Another Selesnya deck. Again, we see History of Benalia. Some March of the Multitudes. Four Sapperling Migration. Four Tristani. Four Venerated Loxodon. A couple Conclave Cavaliers. And just overall, someone who is not messing around in the token-making department. And it's it's cool that this is also a different list than the Song of Freilis one that we saw earlier. Right. A lot of takes on this archetype I'm seeing thus far. Uh, what do you think about Trustani Discordant? Are you are you pro in this style of deck or anti-Trustani? I don't know. Five mana is so much. I think they have to kill it. I mean, it's just a necessary lightning rod. If that card stays in play, your sizing gets out of control very quickly. I'm not sure. I, I've been impressed when I've seen it in play. It doesn't often stay in play for that long, but that's why there's four in this deck is you just always want to keep one in play. Yeah, but five mana. And there's no acceleration, only 23 lands. Again, no flower flourish, which is just confusing to me. Yeah, that seems criminal to me. It belongs in this deck. Uh, I do really like four Legions landing, especially with Tristani. And you have Legions landing into Sap Rolling Migration, so it's pretty easy to transform that. So I don't know. I could buy it. I could buy a slightly slower token deck with more Tristanis, but... I don't know. I I don't think we're necessarily quite there yet. I think I mostly just want to get on board and then have a quicker payoff like Venerated Loxodon or Benelish Marshall. Right. 
Well, that's it, man. That's all 26 decks. Any closing thoughts on on this deck list dump or like where the format's going, what people are up to? I, I think I've made my my stance pretty clear. Week one, I expect to be about find finality, experimental frenzy. We'll, we'll see where things go from there. I also think Green White has a very good chance of winning any week one events as well. Uh, there's a lot of flexibility in their game plans and they do a lot very well. I'm kind of hedging my bets a lot by presenting a lot of different decks. I, I haven't seen too much out of control. I am into my Sarkin-based deck. I am concerned that I will not have removal figured out in time to absolutely lock it down and play it in the PTQ. I think there needs to be a little bit more defined metagame before I'm ready to take something like that into battle, uh, at least when the quality of play is going to be a little bit higher as I expect it to be on Magic Online. Yeah, I like... Shock, Lightning Strike, Experimental Frenzy. And I like some sort of green-white token deck, not Knights. Uh, I would much rather have the go-wide version than like the Conclave Cavalier version because of the Lightning Coil or Lava Coil problems. And then uh, Four Fine Finality is kind of like the uh, the wild card, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those those look like the clear winners to me. We have a question. Of course we do. So our friend VTCLA asks, how do you approach turning the corner quickly from a deck building perspective? You need powerful threats to do it, but the more you clunk your deck up, the worse you get at stabilizing to begin with. Is there some secret or is it just an optimization problem? What do you think, Jerry? This question is fascinating to me because it is a thing that I am constantly trying to get better at because I think I mostly just don't pay attention to it all that much, uh, at least not consciously. So right now I've been playing a bunch of standard on Magic Online and it's like getting a handle on the new format, getting a handle on the decks. And then at some point you start figuring out what are close to real decks and real strategies. And then you start figuring out how those matchups actually play out. And then it's not even until that point that I get to notice things like, oh man, like I'm, I'm okay at stabilizing against this mono red deck, but I can't close. So how do I go about doing that? And I, I think it's, it's kind of like the last stage in the process or even like when maybe a Grand Prix is coming up in the later uh, months of a format and you get to just kind of like maximize things like that. Whereas for a pro tour, I think people just don't even really think about it that much, especially in a new format, like one that's just rotated. Yeah. I mean, I think the question really sums up the problem very well, right? It's it's like there has to be some trade-off and the simple answer is look for cards that do both, right? And that's a hard class of cards to find. We talked a little bit about Conclave Cavalier. That's the type of card which I see going both ways as, as both an answer and a threat. Uh, something like Doom Whisperer checks the box a little bit for me, even though it's an answer in a different way where you have to pay life. And, you know, against something like Mono Red, that's a difficult proposition. Against other decks, it'll be much more palatable to make that kind of investment and use it as both an answer and a way to close the game really quickly. Obviously, you go back to historical archetypes like fairies, which was the king of turning the corner. Just, you know, basically control, 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 snap. They turn the corner and the game's over in two turns. Uh, And they relied on cards which were very flexible, able to perform multiple tasks. And that's what I often look for when I'm looking for a card that can do these things. Something like Thragtusk just popped into my head, which is another great example. But these cards aren't always available. And when they are, they're 
just patently powerful. They're very easy to recognize as, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So when these cards don't exist, this becomes a much harder question. And I, I think that's where we often find ourselves. Right. And I think a lot of the time I tend to lean on trying to build towards inevitability, which is mostly just incorrect. You know, I, I don't think that true inevitability really exists even more. And I found that out the hard way when I'm doing like Golgari things and my opponent is just like stunting on me with experimental frenzy, you know? Yeah, it, it's not what it used to be. There's much more powerful, uh, sticky, proactive threats. And you know I'm a huge fan of inevitability. It's often the first place I go with deck building. It's what drew me to Nexus of Fate in the first instance, the reality that all I have to do is get to a point where I can cast this and there's my inevitability. So there are still some ways to achieve it, but it comes at a, a much higher cost than it used to. And, and I think you're mostly right that in a lot of cases, you're way better looking for ways to just close the game out proactively as opposed to just say, okay, I'm going to answer you forever. It's become a harder task over the years. Absolutely. I mean, we, we saw some of the deck lists today that have like all the angels and all the phoenixes and all that stuff and like no two drops. And it's like, man, that seems so wrong to me because even just thinking about what kind of opening hands I'm going to get, even when I'm on the draw and it's like, if I don't have a two drop, I can't have my first play be turn three trained Armadon flyer, right? Right. So those decks seem wrong to me, but I'm sure those decks are very good at turning the corner. Turning the corner and, right. and like like you mentioned, if you play uh, like Shalai into Lyra or whatever, you're you're probably going to be able to race them. And I feel like that is just a, a strategy that I don't normally employ all that much. Yeah, same. I, I've, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know there's a style of deck which I just look at and I'm kind of dumbfounded every time. Often the colors will be like green and white. And I, I can't really wrap my head around it because it exists, I think, in that middle ground of having its threats also be its answers. And I have a very hard time conceptualizing that. I like to divide things a little bit more cleanly, maybe a flaw in my own game that I should look to shore up a little bit and, and spend some time with those decks and really just get familiar with them. Yeah, and I, I do think it is important to stress that when you are trying to widen your range you should be doing that on Magic Online when you have time and not necessarily in tournaments. I've spewed off plenty of tournaments, even though it's it's a good learning experience. It's just not really worth it when you only get so few shots. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have even fewer shots than I do, you know? So if you have downtime and you're just like, well, Magic's boring or whatever, try and learn a new deck. Try and learn a new strategy. Like, there's always things that you could be doing. Love it. That's game. Good luck.